Hello everyone and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Danny Johnson. Danny always knew he wanted to be a butcher since he was five years old. After graduating high school, he enrolled in a meat cutting school in Oregon. When he graduated from the meat cutting school, he started as a butcher at Taylor's Market in Sacramento, California in 1983 and has been there ever since. Danny is also the captain of the American Butcher Team and is a a member of the Butcher's Guild. Danny, thanks so much for coming on for an episode for today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I'm excited because you're the first butcher I've had on the podcast, and I know a lot of people wanted to ask you lots of questions, so I've tried to make sure I've got all the tabs open on my computer here so I can make sure I can get some of these good questions out to you. And the reason people are so excited that I'm getting to speak to a butcher is because I have so many listeners who are interested in the carnivore diet, which I, I don't know, as a butcher, have you heard about it so far? Uh, I have. I have. Actually, we're doing a video tomorrow with a uh, weightlifting guy here at the store who's it's part of the carnivore diet. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the movement's definitely growing. And um, I guess you've heard about it. It's where people just only eat meat. Um, and they can be very strict in, in that. So, of course, when someone's only eating meat, they want to know so many other questions now when they're learning about meat. And that's why you're on the podcast today, so we can learn more about the meat industry and, and how to help people talk to their butcher. Great. So my first question for you before we get into some of the other questions is with the um, the Butcher's Guild that you're a member of, what, um, you talk about whole animal butchery. Can you just explain that concept to the listeners? So here in the United States, um, it, there was a movement years ago where it went into what they call box beef and prefabricated, pre-cut. A lot of stuff was already cut. You just open it up and start slicing. And here at Taylor's, we've always cut whole animals, which is we get the whole lamb, the whole hog, the whole beef in, whole chickens, the whole fish, if you will, and we break it down from there. So as a, it's it's kind of exactly what a butcher's always been. It, it went away from that. And now <clears throat> they've come back with the term whole animal butchery. So, you know, I've always been a whole animal butcher, I guess. Okay, so it's interesting where the the trade, I'm guessing this is just an efficiency thing when it comes to grocery stores or supermarkets, maybe that instead of butchers spending their time butchering the whole carcass in the store, that it all just gets delivered to them pre-done in a way. Is that Was that the reason why? Yeah, exactly. It, it cuts back on labor. So, you know, in, in, say, in our butcher shop, we always have at least three butchers on at one time, sometimes four. And if we were to do prepackaged, you could basically just have one person, but you wouldn't have the same experience, that same interaction with the butcher. He would just come in, pick up a package and people would move on. Mm-hmm. So an interesting question that someone um, did ask, which is related to what we're talking about here now is as a butcher, then do you, when you're um, cutting up the, the carcass, do you see how healthy an animal is just by the different carcasses that you see? Um, have you learned over time that you can look at a piece of meat or look at that and say, um, yeah, this is a healthier animal than this animal? Absolutely. And a lot of times the animals aren't released from the slaughterhouse unless it's a healthy animal. But there, there are animals that come in, they call them dark cutters. Some of the meat could be a little bit dark. And it, it's part of it is how they were handled before they were dispatched and if, if it is a dark cutter, you're not going to want to put that in the counter. If anything, you're going to turn it into ground, ground meat. But it's it's very rare for us to get an animal that we look at and go, no, nah, this is just not acceptable. 
Mm-hmm. And when it ca- so, I'm guessing that's more to do with um, the meat side. But what about the organ side? Do you also see any differences once you then um, cut the animal apart? Like if you now have the heart and you have the kidneys and the liver, do you see differences? And there's times you have to discard the liver or discard part. Again, it doesn't come to the retailer unless it's it's a piece of meat or a, an organ that you could sell. So they the inspectors will check that out at the slaughterhouse and go, you know, this is not this has to be thrown away. Okay, yeah. So there's a there's a quality check before it even gets to you. Correct. Yeah. And the people that we deal with, they know what our requirements are. So they're not going to send us something that they know that they're going to get a phone call on and say hey, this is not a quality piece of meat. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about sourcing because, again, um, the Butcher's Guild, which is how I found you, um, you have a a great oath. um, And a part of that oath is uh, helping butchers understand the whole system again, so from the farm to yourself. Um, Could you just explain then, even at Taylor's then, how do you source your meat um, or how do you find the best meat for your customers? So we're pretty blessed here than the fact that we have some really good relationships with, with a lot of local farmers and, and they're close. So, you know, our beef is raised less than 50 miles from the store. Our, our hogs are about 75 miles from the store. And then our lamb is 15 miles from the store. So we know the farmers, we can go out to the field and see how they're raised, what kind of husbandry practices are taking place and then how they're, how they're being trucked to the processing plant and how they're handled at the plant and then brought to us. So it's just a relationship all the way through. You just got to do your homework. My philosophy, the way I was always taught, was a good butcher should know how to feed the animal and eat the animal and do everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, uh, know how to cook it, how to raise it, you know, husbandry practices and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that's even the kind of level that you've gone to, that you have that relationship with the farmers, you have that relationship with the slaughterhouse, you, you do understand the full process of, your, of the product that's coming to, to yourself. Yeah, correct. For, the, for, for like the beef, for instance, every spring we have a what we call a ranch dinner. So we promote it along with the rancher and we go up to that ranch. We have a butcher class to do a ranch tour and then we create a dinner with that product and it, it's wildly successful. We, we sell out every year. It's a hundred tickets and it's a great event. People get on the ranch and then they're just amazed at the operation and just, just being on a ranch and then having a butcher class in an old barn is, is kind of cool too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've, I enjoy myself now um, just going to my local butcher and just finding out more, you know, there's so much information that you can learn from your local butcher, which is again, why I've got you on the podcast today. Cause I think people sometimes aren't lucky enough to ha- have a local butcher now in the system. Uh, I think you told me before that your setup where you are is, is not the norm anymore in, in the States. Uh, no, it's not. We're, we're kind of a throwback. We're a little neighborhood store that used to find everywhere here in the United States. And now it's not so common, but you know, people can come in, they engage us. We, we, they'll, they'll hand us a cookbook over the counter and say, can you help me with this cut? Um, they'll have printouts of recipes or they'll just say, Hey, hey man, I, I'm going to do some short ribs. What's your favorite way to do it? And we'll explain, you know, we recipe, we have, we have recipes and we have our ideas. 
Well, I'm looking forward to picking your brain on some of those recipe ideas because um, people do need them. Uh, but before we get in, into that, then, um, what I'd pr- I'm just thinking the best way to maybe go through this is to try to think of the common meats. So as you know, um, on the carnivore diet, a lot of people end up eating the same kind of meat, either mints or probably ribeyes is, is two of the big things that I hear most of the time. But what are some other cuts of beef then that you would recommend to someone um, if they just so that they they understand the language when they speak to their local butcher? So there is, um, you know, front quarter meat and hind quarter meat. So off the front quarter is where you would get a ribeye. It's funny that you say ribeye because ribeye happens to be the most popular steak here at our market. Um, my wife's favorite. I'm personally a fan of uh, strip loin. But there's some beautiful cuts off of the chuck that we call a Denver steak, which comes off the bottom of the scapula, or a flat iron, which comes off the top of the scapula. If you take the sinew out of the flat iron, it has been determined that it's the second most tender cut of meat after the filet mignon. Um, it's a third of the price. There's also, um, if, you, if you're bent on a ribeye, but you don't have a ribeye budget, you could always ask for a chuck eye. The first two cuts off of the chuck, a couple chuck eye steaks. And again, that's going to be half to a third of the cost of a ribeye. There's just so many different cuts. You could, you could go the Claude Hart. There's um, Terrace Major. Those are, all, again, all off of the chuck. And those are some cuts that they're starting to gain some traction. But um, it's it's something that you would just have to develop a relationship with your butcher and say, hey, I'm looking for something besides ribeye that's going to give me a quality experience. So it sounds like a, a good way to to, ha- to start that that discussion. If you don't remember all these names, is to go to your butcher and say the it was the the hind quarter and the fore quarter. Was it? Was it correct? Yeah. So just say there. Um, do you have any particular cuts of meat that you would recommend from either of these two, and then? even what you just started there, just start the whole discussion about, okay, so if you like this, does it mean that you like rump? And if you like rump, then maybe you should also consider these other cuts. Correct. And and rump in Great Britain is our sirloin, what we call sirloin here, our top sirloin. Oh, right, okay, because, yeah, in, um, over here we've also got sirloin. So you've got sirloin steak and then you've got rump steak. So Yeah, your just- sirloin is our, is our New York strip. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> even in butchery, depending on what part of the world you're in, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay, so um, also um, something else I learned the other day was when it comes to mints. Um, this was actually a guest I've, I'm going to be publishing on the podcast, uh, and it was market trim mints, I believe. So there's a difference in even beef mints depending on what the but- where the butchers cut the meat from the day. It, do you know? Do you, do you know of that? Yeah, I can, and that's the foundation of a of a meat department. So, what you guys call mints, we call our grind or our ground meat. Um, you want to you want to have a market that grinds their meat in house, so they have a meat grinder in their cooler, and when they're talking market trim, it's the trimmings that, throughout the day of what what they've been cutting. We call that. Here at Taylor's, we call it a Taylor's blend. We take our steak trimmings, we take a little bit of brisket, and we take some short ribs, and we grind it all together, and it makes wonderful hamburger. 
for hamburgers. It makes great uh, meatballs and it's great for spaghetti meat. Um, there's lean, which is our, our lean is less than 10% fat. And then we also have a, um, the, the Taylor's blend. We tend to go less than 20% fat. And then we have a 100% grass fed grind that usually that's in the 15% fat. That's never been fed any, anything besides just grass. That's a hundred percent pasture raised animal. Okay. And again, I'm, I, I assume there's going to be, it's going to affect different budgets in this case. So, um, if someone's looking for, if they're on a tighter budget, they ha- they're going to have to go more towards which side of that. Uh, they would probably have to go towards a little bit more fat, which is not a bad thing, but what we would call ground chuck, um, it would probably be a 20% fat content um, in European standards. So the, so a mince that's got a higher fat content, the the price could actually be a little bit lower? Correct. The higher the fat content, the price the price should be lower. Oh, interesting, because you actually may find a lot of people then will, will actually like the fattier cuts because it's meant to have health benefits too. So Absolutely. Yeah, so it's funny that you say that. So you may actually find there's going to be a high demand for for these fattier cuts because um, not only is it good for your budget, but it's you know people are looking to improve their health that way too. And with when you're dealing with a hundred percent grass fed animal, it's got a higher amount of omega threes in the fat. Mm-hmm. So um, something else that uh, people have been asking, if I move uh, away from just asking about the the meat itself is more to do with organ meats. Because what I noticed is that it can be hard to, well, I saw this just from a, a couple of stores I looked at, was it's hard to find certain organs in maybe certain butchery stores. Is that the case, that butchers aren't allowed to sell direct to the public kidneys and livers and other organs in certain uh, states? Not, not, not that, I, that I've heard of. The only thing that we can't sell, there's a couple of things we can't sell here in the United States. We can't sell any kind of brains and we can't sell um, lungs, but we sell liver. We sell heart. We sell, uh, we have a pretty good trade in beef tongue. We have a little bit of a trade in uh, tripe or the stomach. And we have a trade in, in, in beef heart and pork heart, lamb heart, all those different organs as well. Okay. And again, so usually, it's, usually it's heart, liver, those are the two main ones. Okay. And do you get m- many orders for organ organ meats? Uh, n- not as much as it used to be. We used to do a lot of liver. In fact, we used to have liver cut all the time and displayed in the counter. And now it's more what we do is we, we get in fresh liver, we'll slice it, and we'll put it in one-pound packages, and we put it in the freezer immediately because we, we don't move it like we used to. But, we, yeah, we used to, we used, liver used to be very popular. Mm-hmm. So to help people then, because um, also I don't know if you knew, but there was a, a movement in January this year um, called Organary, I think if I pronounced it right. I, to prom- I heard something about that. Yeah, so pr- promoting people to also look at eating organ meats. You know, and, um, So in this case, liver, how would you, as a recipe idea, how would you prepare liver then? What, how would you inspire people? The most classic liver recipe is liver and onions. Fried liver and onions, that's that's what I grew up with. I am not a huge fan of liver, but uh, I'll eat it occasionally. 
Uh, you could do liver onions and some sliced mushrooms and do a nice little sauce over the top. And um, the the difference too between beef liver and I don't know. Do you also do chicken livers? Chicken livers is very popular. That's that's one that is um, typically fried here in the United States. Is uh, yeah, chicken livers are very very popular. That's that's probably we probably move more chicken livers than we do beef liver. Okay, and we always right. have those fresh. We put those in little um, half pint or one pint containers. Cool. Uh, I'm just having a quick look at some of these. Uh, <laughs> the one question I can see here is, um, Danny, do you have any tips for buying half a cow? <laughs> so if someone wanted to buy in bulk and then freeze it. So that's a, that's a, another aspect of the trade that's kind of moved away. When I first started in it, selling a half beef was pretty common. You cut and wrap it and put it in the freezer for, um, the customer that's a great way to save you're probably going to save 10 to 15 percent maybe up to 20 percent across the board if you, if you bought in bulk that way and then you could have your butcher custom cut it to the way you want so when we do that and we do it occasionally not as often as we used to we used to do three four or five times a month that we would do those now we do maybe about five times a year but we have a whole cut sheet and we go all the way down the front quarter and the hind quarter. And we ask the customer, you know, how many people are in the family? How, how thick would you like your steaks cut? How would you like your ground meat packaged? You know, one pound packages, two pound packages, depending again on the number of people in the family. Do you want primarily steaks? Do you want primarily roast? And we just give them all the options. You know, like with the beef shank, you can grind it, you can cut it into slice it and use it for a buco recipe. You know, how much beef stew do you use? Um, what do you do with the bones? Do you use, use them for bone broth or do you use them for your pets? So it's, it's a great, great way to save a lot of money is by buying in bulk, whether it's a half beef, um, half hog, whole lamb. That it's, that, that's always a great way to go. Okay, so that's a great <clears throat> tip there from a budget point of view too, is go to local butcher and say, do you, can you provide that service for me? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, that's the custom part of it. If you see a sign where your butcher says, you know, we do custom cutting, that's part of what they call custom cutting. You, you customize that to what the customer needs. So in, in that case there, if also someone was looking for, um, the, cause there's a, usually a big debate within the community, you know, should I have grass fed beef or is just grain fed beef um, suitable there? Um, in this case here, you could give them an option too, to, uh, I'm guessing, because you know the farmers and the source, sourcing of the meat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you could you could go, hey, we could go 100% grass fed or we can go, you know, grass started, green finished. It, it's whatever, what, whatever the customer would like to do. Mm -hmm. and, and at that point, we would also, you know, probably the best way if they go, I really don't know, what we would do is, give them a taste, we'd fry up a little bit of, or, or grill up a little bit of uh, ground grass fed and a little bit of ground grain fed and give them a taste test and say, hey, which one you like? We wouldn't tell them which one's which. And then we'd, we'd work from there. So how big does your chest of drawer, your freezer need to be at home to be able to hold half a, half a cow? Or oh, that's a great question. Um, Do you need two freezers? Uh, the standard chest freezer, I, I want to say 
Well, let's go by milk crate. Do you know what a typical milk crate looks like? I With don't milk know milk crate myself. Okay. Okay, I'm trying to figure but, out. But I'm sure listeners could probably understand if, if I, I don't um, know. It's, it's going to probably take about 24 square feet. To So that's that's an average size of a chest deep freezer. Okay. So it'll take up quite a bit of room. Like if, if it's a classic refrigerator with a freezer on top, it you would need, like you find in a lot of American homes, you would probably need four times of that. So that's something that people just need need to consider. Yeah, as long as you've got the storage base, you can you can right. save. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, what are your tips then? So if someone does go that route and they freeze their meat, um, of course, let it um, thaw out. And in the, that case, the best thing is let it sit out to room temperature for a little bit before cooking it to get the best taste. Correct. And you, you first of all, you want to make sure you're going to be able to use all that product within six months. Um, you you don't want to. You, you can go out to a year in the freezer, but you start losing quality of product after six months. The first six months, you're, you're, you're pretty safe. It'd be very difficult to find, tell the difference between a fresh cut and a frozen cut if you cooked them side by side, you know, after the frozen one was thawed. Okay. And um, uh, something else I, I didn't ask you there was um, maturation. So how long the, the carcass is hung for, um, you know, aged? Do, uh, the meat that comes into the butcher, is it aged at all? So from the big processors, no. From the little guys, like the little ranchers that we deal with, it is. Aged meat, when, when I started, we always, we've always aged our meat here at Taylor's, but we didn't promote it. It wasn't until about the late 90s that um, we put in a dry age case and we put it up and started promoting dry aged beef. But 14 days is minimum what we like on a whole carcass. And we'll age some cuts, particularly ribs, out to 60 days. But there is a there is definitely a difference with aged meat. And with this too, um because the, the longer you age meat, it changes the budget too of the well the cost price of the of the piece of meat, doesn't it? Absolutely. It, it the longer you age it you have to make up for all the loss on the shrinkage and the water that's coming out. And that's why they call it dry aging. So you're looking at a, a regular ribeye, let's say would cost in the $15 a pound range. And a dry aged ribeye is in $25 a pound. And that's after 30 days of an age. Okay. So, and that's a, a again, a, I'm just thinking of for people who are asking the budget question, these are kind of the kind of things to discuss with your butcher about the aging process and you know how that affects the price and what 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 they're trying to work with. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's have a look at another good question for you over here. Um, so we actually, I see the one question was asking about more fats in our meat, but can't afford the ribeyes. And we've already talked about that. Actually, if someone asks for fattier mints, for as an example, it can, actually can bring the price of the meat down. But any other particularly fatty cuts themselves without ground, ground um, making it grind, ground down, um, would you recommend? Anything, again, off the chuck, the chuck, which is the front shoulder, tends to have a little bit more fat. So that's where you're going to have a little bit more value. And it, 
so chuck eyes again chuck eye boneless chuck roast bone in chuck roast um there's a obscure cut that hasn't been used much but it's called a uh, o-bone shoulder cut i haven't cut one in years but it, it's a it's a wonderful roast it's got a little bit of little fat in it and then on, on the hind quarter there's closer to the shank and what we call in america we call the rump there is um inside round outside round the boneless rump and then there's up in the shank area there's a little velvet steak and an oyster steak and those all have nice marbling and, and some fat in them and so um i mean a lot of these terms here i'm I know for myself, I, d- I don't normally see that displayed in the in the the counter. This is something that someone would have to ask you directly to be able to to cut that, um, or you don't have that cut waiting in the back. Some of those cuts I I do not have in the back, or I have in the back, but I don't have in the counter. So you, what people have to remember is on each animal, there's usually two of each item. You know, there's two two whole ribs which if you're going to cut those into one inch ribeye steaks, you're going to get 32 steaks. But when I'm talking, like I mentioned earlier, the flat iron, there's only two flat irons on an animal and you're only going to get maybe four steaks off that. Um, Chuck eye, you're going to get four one inch steaks off of one whole animal. So that's why you want to build a relationship with your butcher. It's easy for a butcher to sell ribeyes, strip loins, all what we call the middle meats, which is the and filet mignon. It's a little more difficult for the butcher to sell a velvet steak, an oyster steak. And if you can develop a relationship with the butcher and say, "Hey, man, what do you what do you have today that you, that is going to be good for dinner?" That's where you can start really getting some value. You're going to help him out, and you're going to help yourself. Yeah, and that's exactly again why I wanted to get you on because I'm sure there's a lot of cuts of meat because people just aren't used to asking for it that yourself as a butcher you need to figure out what do i do with this because i have the whole carcass but i still need to try maximize the the saleability of everything if i can and so the more educated your customer the better it is because you have more variety in, in your buyers correct and and if you can find a butcher that teaches classes it's something we've been doing for about the past 12 years and we, we do it once a month and we we call it butchering 101 and we go through all the different animals and value cuts and show people where different cuts come from. And when I first started doing that, I wasn't sure what kind of legs it was going to have. And here I am 12 years later and they sell out. We had one last night, in fact. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. So as a trend, then what are you noticing? Are you getting requested different types of cut or you've noticed that, um, that people are, are asking for, for things that have you haven't been asked for for years now some of it is <coughs> excuse me some of it is chef driven and you know one of the good things that's happened to the industry is the food network which can also be said it's one of the bad things that's happened is the food network because the customer is a little bit more educated but sometimes what they're hearing from the chefs is tough to translate over to the butcher shop so one of the one of the cuts that gets asked a lot is a hanger steak or an anglet in the French term, and it's the hanging tender it used to be called the butcher's cut, and it comes off right next to the kidneys inside the animal. 
when I first started, it was a relatively inexpensive cut. It's rising in price a little bit. It has a lot of flavor and a lot of fat, but that's a cut that um, has been driven by, again, chefs and, and the media. So that's one thing I am noticing is skirt steak, which is part of the diaphragm, used to be a more inexpensive cut. That's rising in price as well. Because again, restaurants or a chef will get behind it, start promoting it. Everybody gets behind it. And then it's a supply and demand thing. And like I mentioned earlier, you only have so many of these on each animal. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the thing, again, if I'm just thinking here, if someone builds that relationship with their butcher, a part of the seasonality of supply and demand is going to change over time. So I might come to you and say, hey, Danny, um, I, I've noticed the price of uh, sirloin is just going up and up and up per poundage. If that's going up, something else is probably going down because people aren't demanding that anymore. What's the, you know, could you help me out here and tell me what's maybe dropping in price to work with my budget? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, and it is driven by seasons. Um, so, for example, you know, during the holidays, everybody wants prime rib roast. So, of course, ribs and ribeyes are going to be more expensive. As you get into spring and here coming up, particularly here in California, Cinco de Mayo, which is Mexican independent skirt steak, which is the original fajitas, that goes up tremendously in price. So it, it's, a, it's a, just a seasonal thing. If you, and in the summer, like chucks, like I was speaking earlier, the, the front quarter, you're not gonna move as many chuck roast or chuck eyes so that's the time to, to, to buy that. So if you do have some room in your freezer and you can develop a relationship with your butcher, that is when you go, hey man, you know, what do you have that you need to move? And I can I can help you and you can help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. And oxtail, do you do that? Yes, oxtail, again, that's another cut that used to be relatively inexpensive and there's, bunch of recipes out now with oxtail and we have a really good trade in oxtail hmm. yeah I, I, my parents i remember with them uh, growing up in south africa and oxtail used to be you know butchers just try to get rid of it no one was buying it it was that cheap but of course now it's such a delicious dish and uh, it sounds like the same thing's happening in america it's just it's there's a large demand for it again now absolutely yeah um bone marrow how hard is it to get bone marrow or how easy is it to get bone marrow Oh, we do. We have a we have a good trade. Are you just speaking of the marrow itself, or the center cut bone where you split it and then you roast it with the bone and the marrow? Yeah, that. So that's it's more like you could go home and roast it and get your own bone marrow. Yeah, we have no problem getting that. We we and we have a really good trade in that. What's it like to buy bones though? Is it good value again? Uh no. Again, bones are going up, uh, and part of it is the the prices. I know you want me to tell you about value and I'm doing the best I can, but what has happened is with diets like the carnivore diet and, and different trends, bone broth, it, it, it drives the market. So when everybody starts craving that and people get behind it, the prices go up. Um, when I started in the trade, we used to give bones away. So people would come in and like, Hey, I want a bone for my pet or I want, you know, some bones for stock, we would just give them away. Now, you know, we're up to two ninety nine a pound for for bones, and grass fed bones are four ninety nine a pound. 
and that's it, it's an all day long thing. We prepackage them, we keep them in the freezer, and there is a really good trade for center cut marrow bones. And again, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways that we can give listeners is yeah, there's there's supply and demand, and th- and that's why the prices of different cuts have changed or different types of meats have changed so much over time. But again, the biggest thing you can do is have that relationship with your butcher to have these kind of discussions to say, Hey, what, what are you struggling to move? Let's see if I can maybe help you. Yeah. So I have a, I have a good quote that I keep on top of my meat counter that when I first started these butcher classes, um, my wife had actually found this quote in the Les Hollis cookbook by Anthony Bourdain. And, and then, let me give you the quote. Uh, when looking for a butcher, for example, you are looking for an independent operator, someone not answerable to some corporate Bahamut in some industrial park in another state. A good butcher or fishmonger is a thing of beauty. He will cut the product the way you want it, make suggestions how to cook it. Unfortunately, they are also a vanishing breed. So when you find one, bring that person into your circle of acquaintances and don't let go. Yeah. And, nice, and I, and I nice love that. Though. I love that quote. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely, um, you know, uh, having a butcher is a part of your family because they're, they're supplying your family with, you know, the sustenance that they need to survive too. So you want to have that deep relationship with them to be able, because you're going to be using them for your life. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think here, bacon is a big thing too. What's it like then for a consumer to, or what should we know when it comes to different quality of bacon or how to find the best quality of bacon? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, with bacon, you know, you want to ask, does the butcher smoke it himself? That that would be the first question. Unfortunately, I don't smoke my own bacon, but I have a processor that I've been using out of Idaho for 25 years, and his bacon is fantastic. You, you, you want to find out, ask to taste it. You know, most butcher shops will have some bacon that's already cooked, ready to go. So ask them if you can taste it and develop, you know, find out for yourself if it's something that you, you want to have. It doesn't want to be too salty and you want to have a pretty good balance of fat to, to flesh. It's about a 60, 40 ratio. So you want to have 60% lean and about 40% fat. I prefer rind on bacon, which still has the, the rind on because I like that little crunchiness but most bacon is rindless. So that's that's what I always look for. And does that make any difference to the price of the bacon if you have the rind on or off? Rind on will be a little less expensive because it's just one less step. And then you could also have um, pass for slab bacon and have it sliced, and that'll be rind on, and have it, have it sliced as you wait for it. And we, we do it both ways. We have rind on that we slice for people and then we have it already pre-sliced. And is there any difference in price there if the um, if it's pre-sliced? It's usually about a dollar a pound um, for the for the slab bacon. And you could also just order slab bacon and take it home and slice it yourself. It's going to last a little bit longer. So you could just get a two or three pound slab and then slice it as you need it. You know, hand slice it. I like bacon a little bit thicker. I'm not a big fan of uh, thin, real thin sliced bacon. So here we have it, the way it's counted is uh, we have a 10, 12 count, which is 10, 12 slices per pound. Um, then it goes 14, 16, and it goes 16, 20. 
And again, the higher the count, the thinner the slices. I prefer a thicker. So 10 to 12 is what we saw. Okay. Again, good, good, some good baking tips there. Um, cause yeah, bake, bacon's a, a meat that people consume quite regularly too. So just thinking if there's any way to optimize buying your bacon. Um, and bacon's what makes everything taste good. So that's, you know, common with going back to Oregon meat. We have people coming in looking for Oregon meat and they almost invariably always get bacon. So they'll add bacon to their fried heart or they'll add bacon to their liver. It makes everything taste good. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I do find that too. Um, is it when you grind meat too, will you grind organ meats into um, meat too? So that, because some people struggle to eat just organs on their own. And that's what we're just talking about here about adding baking onto it. But will you also add um, like a custom order if someone wanted to add, like grind in liver or, or something else into uh, meat for someone? Sure. I, I, I do custom grinds all the time. I've had people come in and they want um, just beef heart. Beef heart is commonly ground and they'll have grind beef heart, a little bit of fat and maybe 10% chuck. But yeah, liver, you don't grind as much, but beef heart is the most common. The other one that's a common grind is spleens. They're very red, bright red. And that's another one that we grind. So yeah, and when you and when you find a butcher, if if he's unwilling to do a custom grind for you, that's when I always say find another butcher. Good tip there. Um, what are some other common questions then that you as a butcher are are getting all the time from customers that maybe you'd like to educate people with today? Is it is there another? Maybe you can think of this week something that they've, you know, someone just asked you again, or you know it's coming again this week. Uh, probably the, it's not so much meat related. It's always, we get a lot of questions about knives and how to keep a knife sharp, how to sharpen knives. And that's, a, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's the first question off the top of my head I could think of. It always goes to knives. Um, Lamb, we have a lot of people asking about lamb. They're, they're moving more into lamb. We, we have a pretty good trade with lamb. And with it being springtime, again, value on lamb. And it, and the value is going to be on the shoulder versus um, legs. Legs mm -hmm. and racks are most popular. But if you can get a boneless shoulder or a lamb neck, that's probably one of the best values do a slow braise on a lamb neck. So we get, we get a lot of lamb questions this week. Yeah, and, and we're and, coming up on Valentine's day. Again, we're going to be selling ribeye steaks, strip steaks and filet mignon. <laughs> you, you know what uh, brings love to a relationship to you? What's that? <laughs> yeah, uh, just good cuts of meat. Those, those filet mignons and the, and the ribeyes. That's what, that's oh, yeah. what people want. Um, yeah, because I mean that that does you bring up a good point with the lamb point. Uh, we're speaking in February now, so again with that seasonality, as we go into spring, that's when there's more supply of lamb into the market. So I guess the price changes versus when it's out of season. Yes, it's going to be a, there'll be a little bit of an increase in price, but um, you know we 
the pricing that the the way we set our price model at Taylor's is I try to be consistent and take the highs and the lows and just average it out throughout the year. Hmm. If I get a good deal on something, I, I pass it on. But um, I, I just try to keep my prices consistent throughout the year. And something when it comes to lamb too um, is mutton. Do you get much request for mutton? In 36 years of being a butcher, I've never sold any mutton. It's not a, it's not a, there's a movement towards it more, but personally I've never sold mutton and I think I've only had a couple requests. Okay. Interesting. But then does that also mean that the price of mutton is much lower then? Yeah, the mutton is probably a better, better value. And you're going to want to use that more for stews and grind than you would um, any kind of grilling type cuts or roasting. Because it's a tougher meat. It's a tougher, a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. And what about flavor wise? Uh, yeah. And what about um, slow roast? Because you, you mentioned brisket. Um, what are some of your favorite slow roasts? My, my favorite slow roast is a whole hind quarter shank off of the beef. Um, I, I French the top of the bone and square off the bottom, tie it nice. I, I sear it and then I do a slow braise on it and it comes out fork tender and, and that whole shank will feed four to six people pretty comfortably. And then, you know, you put your, your root vegetables around. That's one of my favorites is a whole hind quarter or hind shank off the hind quarter. And when people start listening to this, because we're going to be moving into spring and then summer, do you have any particular grilling tips? You know, things that you see people do when you go to a local barbecue that you think, oh no, I just need to tell you, don't do that. Usually when I go to a local barbecue, I'm the one that's handed the tongs. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, the butchers are, first of all, as a butcher, if you get invited to a barbecue, it's because they want you to bring the meat. So, um, <laughs> but one of our favorite one of my favorite things to make sure that I always tell people is let the meat get to room temperature before you cook it. Um, season it about a half hour before you're going to cook it. Salt, light pepper. Don't go too crazy with, I'm not a fan of putting all kinds of different rubs on meat. I like to taste the, the flavor of the meat and salt brings that flavor out. And then after you're bringing something off the grill, be sure and let it rest. People commonly take it straight from the grill and they'll want to put it right on the plate and start eating it. Let it rest for about 10 minutes. That lets everything relax. Let the, let's retain the juices and you're going to have a much better experience if you let it rest for at least 10 minutes. And that's with most meats, always just let them rest after cooking. Correct. Mm-hmm. And something we actually haven't talked about, I just thought about it now, is sausages. You also make sausages, do you? Yes, we do. So tell me about tips for buying sausages or are there different ways that I could have sausages? So, you know, again, you want to find a butcher that makes sausages in-house. We do both. We make them in-house and we have some that are made. Um, you want to find out what cuts they're using for the sausage or are they just using their trimmings or are they putting some whole muscle cuts? with pork you know you want to know if they're using some pork shoulder which is going to give you a better flavor profile than just using scraps and then um, seasonings how consistent are the are the seasonings 
so there's sausage can be pretty much anything and you can be very creative with sausage but you could also get out there when you're so creative that you you lose some of the flavor for instance you know bratwurst german classic german bratwurst there's about 45 different varieties of bratwurst depending on what region of germany you're in so you you just got to ask some questions about sausage one of the things i like to do with a fresh sausage sometimes is i'll just parboil it real quick and then i'll put it on the grill and that way it firms it up a little bit and it grills a little bit nicer um, when you have a sausage on a grill you don't want to poke that casing because all that juice is going to run out uh, you want to know if you're going to use a fresh casing whether it's a fresh casing meaning a natural casing which is a hog casing hog intestine beef intestine or lamb intestine versus um, and not natural, which is the collagen casing. I prefer all natural casings. <clears throat> is that not common now to, to use natural casing? Uh, no, it, it's it's probably about 70% of your sausage makers are going to use natural casing. And you'll know the difference because a natural casing will have a snap to it when you bite into it versus a Collagen casing will pull a little bit when you bite into it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Eggs. Do you, as a local butcher, also supply eggs? Um, we have eggs here in the store. So, you know, our, we have a grocery store and we have local egg suppliers. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking because sometimes I've noticed that when you go into your local butcher, they, they, I guess, because say like the chicken farmer also supplies maybe the chickens, but, you know, byproduct of that, it's going to be eggs at times. So, yeah, no, that makes, yeah. Uh, anytime when I'm traveling, particularly in Europe, and you go into a little butcher shop, they always sell eggs. And that's the reason why is because they're buying it from the chicken farmer. Yeah, okay. And actually, there's one one cut we haven't talked about. Um, is there anything people need to know when it comes to ordering chicken? I mean, uh, it seems to me there's probably not much seasonality when it comes to chicken. And I think most people order either legs or, or breast. So with chicken, if you can learn how to cut up a chicken, that's probably the best value you can teach yourself. And where, where you're going to really save some money is learning how to properly cut up what we call in America a fryer. And you're going to save so much more money cutting up a chicken yourself and getting your own leg quarters off of it, your own wings, your own breast, versus buying those parts individually. We have a huge trade in chicken. We sell about a thousand pounds of breast a week, and that's you know that that's a supply and demand thing. We also sell five to six hundred pounds of fryers a week. With that being said, most of the fryers are cooked whole. But if you can educate yourself or or go online to some YouTube videos or take a class on how to cut up a fryer, you're going to save yourself a tremendous amount of money. Because even if you just need particularly say you just want a couple breasts, you can cut that fryer up, get the breast, and then freeze the wings, freeze the leg quarters, freeze the back for stock later. And you got value all the way around and you can come back to those cuts later. But cutting up a fryer is probably one of the best tricks that you can learn for, for someone who wants, is, is particularly interested in value. So does that come back to why you always get asked questions about knives? Probably. Yeah. 
and in January, that's when we teach, um, usually right after the holidays, we teach a class called um, uh, Seafood, Poultry, and Knife Skills. And it's one of our most popular classes. Everybody's on a diet. They indulge a little bit on Christmas. So we, we're, we're focusing on fish and poultry. And when I cut up chickens, it just blows people's minds. They're like, I need to learn how to do that. And it's, again, one of our most popular classes. And even when we cut chickens up for customers behind the counter, we always, um, and, and a butcher will do that. You can just go to the butcher and say, hey, I want a whole fryer. Can you cut it up for me? And if they charge you, find a new butcher. But, you know, just if you don't want to cut it up yourself, you can have the butcher cut it up for you. But again, that's where the value is, is the purchasing a whole chicken. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, the biggest thing I think I'm hearing too is the way that a customer can help their local butcher is by not having the butcher to have to go and do all that prep work and all those cuts and then hope that they can sell it. That if they know they have customers who come and say, hey, I want a whole fryer and then you can cut it up, it's less risk on the butcher because they haven't had to go and cut all the bits and hope that they can sell it for the day. Absolutely. If you develop a relationship with the butcher, you will soon find out what days they get deliveries, what days they're doing a lot of their cutting. And you can say, hey, man, you know, even if you're planning ahead on your menu, this is this is what I'm going to need when you're doing that. Can you get this cut for me, get that cut? And pretty soon the butcher is going to be thinking of you when he sees you come in the door and say, hey, man, this is what I'm going to be doing on Wednesday. Are you interested? And that's that happens with us all the time. We know what customers are looking for certain cuts, and we just let them know this is when it's coming in. And again, it goes back to that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and um, and back to your quotes that you bring them into your family, so <laughs> everyone everyone knows everyone's preferences. I want to actually talk a little bit about the Butcher's Guild too. Um, wh- what is what is the the mission of the Butcher's Guild? Now, the mission is an, it's an educational thing. We want to educate people and let them know that this is not a dying trade. It's a thriving trade. And again, butchers are a thing of beauty that we want to educate. We want to teach. And it's a, it's a, it's a thriving trade. So we're just trying to teach people about how to source meat and how, where to find the best quality meat. Mm-hmm. And this is both for the consumer and for the butchers themselves. It sounds like when I was reading with the guild. Correct. So, yeah, we want to teach, you know, young butchers. There's a, there's a, what's, what's happening is there's a lot of people that go to work in a kitchen and they start cutting up some chickens. They might start messing around with some half hogs and they go, hey, this butchering thing's pretty cool. And then they want to get into the trade. In the United States, we don't have an apprenticeship program. So that's where the Butcher's Guild, we're trying to fill that void and connect people who want to get into the trade with people who are willing to teach. I have seven guys, who uh, seven butchers working for me, and I've trained them all. And I find it's just easier to take someone who's just fresh and raw and just bring them from the ground up and empower them and say, hey, I'm going to show you everything I know. So it, it's a thing just trying to keep the trade alive with young people. Mm-hmm. And um, tell me a little bit about the being on the American Butcher team. Just tell people what, what is, what's that all about? 
So the World Butcher Challenge is a international butchery competition that started in 2011 as a bet between Australia and New Zealand as to who had better butchers. And it's evolved from those two countries. Then in 2016, they invited Great Britain and France to participate down in Australia. So there was four countries with France winning. 2018, it went to Belfast, Northern Ireland, and there was 12 countries. We were the first United States team to participate. Um, Ireland won. Our team, we took sixth place. And now 2020, we're having it at the Golden One Center here in Sacramento, which is the home of the Sacramento Kings, our professional basketball team. And we have 16 countries. And we're creating 16 butcher shops on the floor of the arena. And we're all going to go at one time. You have three hours and 15 minutes, six-person teams, to cut a half beef, a half hog, a whole lamb, and five chickens and make them into a themed retail display and also create three gourmet sausages. So it's it's a very visual thing. It's a competition. There's a lot of... Um, camaraderie, goodwill. I've got to be really good friends with butchers around the world. We have this little network going. It's um, it's not little anymore. It's getting bigger. But it's kind of cool because I'm learning different cuts from around the world, and they're learning some American cuts, and our cuts are different than their cuts. But at the end of the day, you all still have this common goal is to cut quality meat and provide a great experience for customers. Mm -hmm. And with this event that's occurring, um, are consumers allowed to come watch and be spectators? Oh yeah, it's going to be open to the public, and we also are—we're um, still working on trying to get it to televised. So we're in negotiations with that. But this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Here in um, on our food network here in the United States, there's a show called Iron Chef, and we call it Iron, this competition is kind of like Iron Chef on steroids. It's so visual. It's and it's frantic. I mean, you're going to see on the floor of the arena, a hundred butchers working at the same time, creating these displays. And you see the whole animals hanging there. And then three hours and 15 minutes later, we have these beautiful displays out and it, it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. I can imagine. I, again, you just see the amount of work that goes into your trade and the art and the skill that comes with that. Yeah. And, and it's fun. I mean, we have a good time doing it. I mean, the, the, the easy part is the butchering. The hard part is practicing, getting down what you're going to do and fundraising. Here in the United States, we have, it, it's a huge country. So we have butchers from, there's six of us and we're from all around the country. We have a guy in New York, a guy in Seattle, Texas, South Carolina, um, Hawaii, and there's two of us here from Sacramento. Well, well, you know, I think that sounds like it's going to be an amazing event to watch in person. So, um, Danny, we're getting to the point in the show here where um, if someone wants to maybe find out more about Taylor's Market or if they even had questions that they want to ask you or ask the Butcher's Guild, um, are there any resources that you would recommend that the public are allowed to, to go to? Um, you can always email me at danny at taylorsmarket.com. I'll, I'll respond as you know quickly as I can. I have no problem answering questions. You can also um, just call the store, which is um, 916-443-6881. Um, 
I'm not sure what the American country code is. Plus but, one. Um, yeah, we're, 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 we're always um, available to answer questions. If you, there are some stores that have an automatic answering system. We're not, we answer the phone and we will, we will answer questions. I have no problem answering questions because I, I want to educate people. Hmm. And I think anyone living in your area, which is Sacramento, is it? Uh, if I remember that I said, yeah. So if there's any luck, lucky listeners in Sacramento or visiting Sacramento, I recommend they pop into Taylor's and say, how's it to, uh, to Danny? Because, uh, you know, I think it's going to be quite an experience speaking with you in person too and getting to learn more about the, the cuts that you have on that day. So Danny, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. I've learned so much more myself. Um, I knew I was going to, and hopefully listeners too um, have have learned some more on how they can have that discussion with the butcher. And I just want to say thank you for that. Well, thank you very much, Gary. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.